Hey, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of the word. We're in Revelation chapter 7. And you will be participating, if you want, in the reading of the scripture today. So um, when I get to the portion that I'm going to ask you to participate in, I'll let you know. Then you'll participate, and then I'll continue reading. And then there'll be another section that you'll get to participate in as well. So when we get to that section, I'll let you know, and you can participate in that reading. Revelation 7, 1, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi. 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar. 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun. 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph. 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the land, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, say this with me, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I will continue to read. And all of the angels, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Say this with me. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I will continue reading. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these? clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, they are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we teach through Revelation chapter 7, I pray, God, that you would open our hearts and minds to this Revelation, God, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. God, that we would grow in our understanding, um, not just growing in knowledge, but growing in our ability to walk out the knowledge that we understand, that we would live this truth in Jesus' name. God, that you would be glorified in the way that we respond to this text, to this passage, to this preaching today. 
We ask you to lead us, guide us, and direct us. Fill this place with your presence, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, the title of the message was Calamity, the Wake-Up Call. This week, I've titled the message, God's Plan in the Midst of Calamity. What is God's plan? What is God's plan in the midst of the calamity that we're reading about and studying in this passage of Scripture and really in this season as we teach through the tribulation period? Well, in three words, what is God's plan? Number one, repentance. Number two, redemption. And number three, restoration. Again, it's important for us to understand the heart of God as judgment is poured out upon the earth. God's heart is for the people, that they might repent, that they might be redeemed, that they might be restored. Repentance is non-negotiable. People must repent if they are to be saved. Repentance is also a regular part of our life as followers of Jesus Christ. To repent means to turn from evil and turn to the good. Theologically speaking, it simply means to turn to God. So each of us in our own personal lives must turn to God. That is part of the salvation process. It's part of the sanctification process. We must continue. In the beginning of our walk with God, we must turn to him and we must on a daily basis continue to turn away from evil and turn to God. That's repentance. Then there's redemption. Redemption speaks of God's plan to deliver people. God redeemed Israel out of Egypt. God wants to redeem people out of the world. God will, he will certainly redeem people out of the tribulation period. So there's repentance and redemption. And then there's restoration. Restoration means that God will restore order and righteousness and peace to the earth. After the tribulation period, the world will enjoy the millennial reign of Christ and then for all eternity, the redeemed will enjoy God's restored order of things. I was watching a movie with Jolene, my wife, this week. And in the movie, the main character, this girl of 18 years of age, she had a heart defect. She was, as she describes, her heart had an expiration date. She'd also been a part of the foster care system and through the course of her life, she had bounced from foster care home to foster care home to foster care home, many, many foster care homes. And so she had a heart defect and she had bounced from home to home. Her great desire, as she declared in the movie, was to go to a place where there was no more sadness or sickness or parents who don't love their children. Her desire was for heaven, and she didn't even realize her desire for these things in her life, this place, this mysterious place was really, she was describing heaven. She wanted to go to a place where there was no more sadness or sickness or parents who don't love their children. Without knowing it, she desired heaven. And I think every right-thinking human longs for the same thing. We were just singing about it today. We long for God to come and take us home. We're longing for God to do something to rescue us, to redeem us, and to restore us, to restore 
what used to be before the fall, such beauty. So let's jump into our study of Revelation chapter 7 um, and just unpack things a verse at a time. There's a lot going on in chapter 7. If you read it ahead of time, you might be scratching your head. There's a lot going on here. Notice, first of all, we've only looked at the opening of the six of the seven seals. We know that there are seven seals that need to be opened. In chapter 6, we opened the first six seals. The seventh seal is opened in chapter 8. So chapter 7 is kind of a pause in the study. But according to Henry Morris, and I quote, Revelation 7 seems to pick up right after the earth convulsions of the preceding chapter, the sixth seal where there were earthquakes. Though it also looks back to the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. It also looks forward to the end of the great tribulation and even to the eternal state in the new earth. And so we're seeing a lot in this chapter. So Revelation chapter 7, verse 1, it says this, after this. After what? After the opening of the sixth seal. It seems God is giving John a break in his vision to encourage him with refreshing truth. God's been showing him this vision that's of destruction and pain and chaos in the earth. And it seems God took a break in John's vision to encourage him with refreshing truth, reminding John of his, God's big picture, sovereignty and unbelievable goodness. Verse one continues, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. So these four angels, God's angels, are standing at the four corners of the earth. The four corners represent all of earth in terms of modern technology. It's, just, it's essentially equivalent to what a mariner or geologist would call the four quadrants of the compass or the four directions of the earth. So the phrase four corners of the earth is not meant to suggest the earth is literally square or flat. It means that angels had taken up positions at the points of the compass. They stood at the north, south, east, and west. They exercised authority to hold back the four winds. The angels were holding back the wind. What is the wind? Well, wind is speaking of God's judgment. This is a bit of a rewind, taking us back to before the tribulation period. And again, as I said, it seems God took a break in John's vision, looking back to the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. God, seems, uh, God, it seems, wants to encourage John with refreshing truth. Have you ever experienced that in your own personal life in the midst of some calamity? You read the scripture and you get some refreshing truth. In the midst of calamity in your own personal life, you hear a song that God uses to speak refreshing truth to you so that you have the capacity to believe God for greater things. You've got the capacity to take the next step in your life, believing that God will bring you through this calamity, this difficulty. God does that in the midst of calamity during the tribulation period. As John receives the vision, John's getting a break with refreshing truth. He'll 
He's just about the people. God loves people, and so he speaks refreshing truth to us in the midst of calamity so that we can continue on. How many need a refreshing bit of truth today? We get that, man, every time we open up the Bible, even as we read through Numbers. How many are reading through the, the Scripture right now? We're in Numbers. We just got done with Leviticus, right? And so we're reading through it, and we're like, Lord, show me some refreshing truth. I think, <laughs> I think as we read through Leviticus and Numbers and those more difficult passages of Scripture, I think, supernaturally so, that God is honored when we're reading those passages. And even if it doesn't seem like there's refreshing truth in that, I find that my soul, my spirit, my life is refreshed when I'm reading God's word. There's just something supernatural about God's word. It's living and active. It has, it's, it's like a two-edged sword. It cuts through. It has the power and the ability to speak life and grace and truth to us, even if we don't fully see it in the words that are written on the page of Scripture. As we just avail ourselves to God, and really this is kind of the spiritual discipline that we're trying to encourage everybody to have, to open up the word every day and say, God, I, I, would you speak to me? through your word. And sometimes that will just be through the obvious words written on the page. Sometimes it'll be just the spirit of God working in your life as you make God your priority in reading the scripture that God has written for us. There's a, a host of different ways that God will speak refreshing truth into our lives when we yield ourselves to him, when we put him first, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be added unto us. And so often, especially in more difficult passages, the reading is about putting God first and making him the priority and not fully understanding what God will do, but just knowing that as we put our trust in him, God has the ability to speak to us and to encourage us with refreshing truth. I need it, you need it, we all need it. We need that in our lives. That's what God, it seems, is doing right now. He's wanting to encourage John with refreshing truth. Truth. God is reminding him of his, God's big picture, sovereignty. And God is reminding him of his merciful plan of redemption, even in the midst of judgment. God has a merciful plan of redemption in the midst of the tribulation. Many will be saved in the tribulation period, Jews and Gentiles alike. God will be saving multitudes out of the tribulation period. Verse 9 tells us, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages will be saved. Isn't that incredible? A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages will be saved. Back to verse 2. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Well, before God's judgment is released on the earth, God seals his remnant people on the earth who will be a witness to the unbelieving world. And so after the rapture, when the church leaves earth to be with the Lord forever, 
when God takes his church out of the earth so that he can unleash judgment on the earth after the rapture, but before the tribulation begins, many things will be happening. Many will realize what is happening. They'll realize that all of the Christians are gone. And they'll think back to conversations that you had with them about faith. They'll think back about how God has been trying to get their attention all the days of their lives. They'll think back to many, the many opportunities that God gave them to, uh, that they might have their lives transformed by his power and grace. And so when the Christians are gone, the people who refused to believe before, they are beginning to believe now those you witness to will begin to change their minds, whereas before they had hard hearts. Also, those who grew up in church, hear me, those who grew up in church hearing the gospel but never believing. Maybe you sit through church service after church service, week after week, year after year, you're hearing all of this information, but you've never been transformed by the gospel and the grace and the the true message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you've got all kinds of head knowledge, but it's never dropped into your heart so that you've been saved and born again and sanctified by the work of God in your life. And so it will be people like that who have heard all of the messages but never allowed the message to transform and save their lives. Those who somewhere along the line heard the truth but hardened their hearts to it, they're gonna be awakened by God's grace during that time. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus declared, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. God has a plan to make sure his gospel is proclaimed to all the nations. That has always been his plan, to make sure that the gospel is proclaimed to all the nations. In verse four, we see God's plan for proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom to all nations. Verse three again says, the angel said, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. What does that look like and what does that seal mean? Well, we know right now that God seals his people with the Holy Spirit. We know that God gives us the Holy Spirit, fills us with the Holy Spirit, and our lives are sealed as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit. The Antichrist will seal his people with the mark of the beast. Let's read a couple verses here that communicate these things. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So when you've trusted God and believed God and accepted and received the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Revelation 13, 16 through 18 talks about the beast and the Antichrist and his seal. He's a great counterfeiter, <laughs> the Antichrist is. Uh, the enemy of our souls, Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, they are counterfeits of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is what the beast and the Antichrist want to do. 
Revelation 13, 16 through 18, also it, the beast or the antichrist, causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is 666. So the Antichrist is a cheap knockoff of the real Christ. So often we get sucked into his schemes and plans only to be left lacking and wanting, frustrated, discouraged, and injured. The real Christ will seal his saints for the good work of proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The real Christ will seal his saints for eternity by his grace because he is good. The Antichrist will seal his followers for destruction. So let's take a look at the next verse. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. I love that in Genesis, we see God's plan for Israel. And now in Revelation, we see the, 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 the kind of the final plan for the people of Israel in the tribulation period. I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. We are not told explicitly here in this passage that these 144,000 are there to proclaim the gospel, but Jesus in Matthew 24 gives us an outline. Jesus gives us an outline of what will unfold in the end. The parallel of Matthew 24 and Revelation 6 and now Revelation 7 is undeniable, point by point, Jesus makes clear what he is up to. And this is why we keep referencing Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 14 says, Jesus declared, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. What is the gospel of the kingdom? The gospel of the kingdom is the good news message of Repentance, redemption, and restoration offered by God to all who will receive Christ. It's a pretty good deal. If we simply will repent and turn to God, turning away from the world, away from evil, and turning to good, turning to God, we will be redeemed and experience restoration. Those who accept this offer become part of God's eternal kingdom. Those who choose to remain in their sin cannot be a part of God's kingdom. John 1, 9 through 12 communicates this. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Who is John speaking of in John 1? He's talking about Jesus. 
Jesus, verse 11, he came to his own. Who were his own? The Jews. Jesus came to his own, to the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. Interesting that God is going to use the Jews in the tribulation period. They're going to be awakened to the Messiah, and they're going to be given an opportunity to uh, not just give their own lives to Jesus, but to help others give their lives to Jesus. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In this next verse, we see the fruit of those who proclaim the gospel of the kingdom during the tribulation period. This is the fruit of the sealed 144,000. A great multitude from every nation will be saved. Verse 9, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, say it with me, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is what they are declaring and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God, saying, say it with me, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. This is their declaration. Verse 13, to the one of the elders addressed, uh, then one of the elders addressed me, saying, who are these clothed in white, robes and from where have they come? I said to him, this is John, I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Don't you just love the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ? This gift that he has given to the people who have awakened during the tribulation period. This gift that is extended to them is the same gift that's extended to us, uh, people who in this season of life have recognized the redemption, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is so patient and kind. Sometimes people read the Old Testament, they say, God is such a mean old judge. Then they read the New Testament, and they say, God is such a good God. But it's the same God in the Old and the New Testament. And if you look, and I don't think you have to look very hard, you see that same grace and mercy in the Old Testament where God is being incredibly patient and kind with the Jewish nation. He continues his incredible kindness toward us in this, our lives today. It, he is constantly patient with you, and he's constantly patient with me. He is faithful when we are 
unfaithful. He is good when we are not good. He is, he sticks with us when we want to run as far as we can away from him. I was talking with a friend of mine, um, uh, kind of, he's been struggling, um, haven't seen him in church for a while. And, uh, I saw him on Friday. I've been praying for him for weeks and weeks. Two, two guys have been kind of on my radar that I've just been praying for for weeks and weeks. Uh, one guy was back to church last Sunday and I saw the other guy, uh, on Friday. And, um, I said, Hey, what's going on? Are you okay? I said, I've been praying for you and uh, I love you, man. He said, you know, I've been running. I said, we've all run. We've all done that. I said, instead of running away from God, why don't you run toward God? Why don't you run toward the church? Because it's in running back to God that we find grace and mercy in our time of need. It's in running back to God that we find peace and strength and exactly what we need to face all of the things that cause us to run in the first place. God's grace and mercy is seen throughout every page of the scripture. If you are here today and you've been running, can I just encourage you to run toward God? His grace is sufficient. Can I just encourage you with truth that God has never, ever stopped loving you? He's never, ever stopped loving you. He's been pursuing you all the days of your life. And so even in your running, he's going after you because he loves you. He wants you to experience the joy that comes from walking with him. He wants you to experience the freedom that comes from walking with him. He wants you to experience the fullness of life that he's made available to you. So, so often we're running toward the things of the world, confused by what's going on in our lives, and we're going after all of the wrong stuff. Can I just encourage you that we've all been there? And God's grace is sufficient. And like the prodigal who was running when he came home, his father killed the fatted calf, put a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, and just, just loved on him. That's precisely what God will do for you. Precisely. That story is given so that we would understand what happens when we return. It's given to communicate the heart of God, the heart of the Father who wants to put his arms around us and usher us back into right relationship with him so that our joy may be complete, so that our lives might be filled with him. That's the gospel, Old and New Testament. And that's what God is trying to communicate to those who are in the tribulation period. Repent. Turn to me. Give your life to me. Repent. And watch what I can do to redeem you and to restore your life. That's the all-encompassing message of the gospel. It's not just fire insurance, one-sided, single-dimensional, a uh, single-dimensional message that doesn't impact our lives here and now. It impacts our lives here and now in the everyday of our lives here and now, and then it impacts us into eternity. With that, let's go ahead and stand up. And we're going to pray, and I'm going to invite the worship team. And so, Lord, as we pray...
I pray that each person would repent. And for those who have been running, that they would repent, repent afresh. And that those who were repenting afresh would see your big smile on your face. <laughs> that they would see your smile and your open arms and your desire to welcome them back home. And so, Lord, bless them. And so if you're here today, do that now. If you're here today and you've been running, just say, Lord, I'm, I'm not running anymore. I'm giving my life to you. I repent. I'm turning away from the bad, turning to the good, turning away from the world, turning to God. God, I'm repenting. Thank you for your redemptive power in my life. I invite you to restore and make all things new. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship and uh, turn our attention to Jesus.